0: Good morning, my name is Nick and I've just got to say it for singing that song, I am a child of God. How about you? Amen? Amen? Man, that's good. That's good to be able to sing out loud and shout, I am a child of God. To know that there is a place for me because I've believed. This morning we're going to talk about belief versus unbelief. But first I want to tell you how loved our students felt this week at Holland Chapel. They kicked off the summer this past week with a pool tour stop and with service project week and over a hundred students got to interact with you, their church family, and you guys loved them. You served them. You gave to their mission trip cause. And I just want to say Thank you, thank you, thank you. The weather played a little bit of a, a tricky role in our week, but we were able to work a lot. I actually got a text message or a Facebook message yesterday from one of our former students who is in the military service. And he's away from his family right now, and he was checking in with me. His name is Gabe, and, uh, and I told Gabe, I said, we're in the middle of service project week. And uh, you remember those days, and he said this, he said, I certainly do. I miss my Holland Chapel family. Those days helped me grow into the man that I am today. And it's good to know that as students that that they have a church family behind them that support them and that love them. So I want to say thank you for doing that. Speaking of growing, we're again in our series that lessons from the wilderness from the book of Numbers. And these lessons from the wilderness help us to grow they help us on our journey of following Jesus. Last week, Pastor Grant brought us a message from the book of Numbers, and we were reminded that complaining is dangerous. And that's just one of those things that we can uh, put into practice in our lives to watch and to, to catch as we complain so we can look more and more like Jesus, so we can eliminate complaining from our world because it is very dangerous. Dangerous, And so those are some of the lessons that we are learning in this journey through the book of Numbers. This morning we're in Numbers chapter 13. If you would, turn with me there. We're going to read uh, a little bit from a long narrative uh, here in Numbers 13 and 14. In fact, it's one of the longest stories of the Israelites' time in the wilderness And if their story of wandering through the wilderness is meant as a warning to us, then it would stand to reason that a passage like this that's one of the longest narratives is a giant flashing red light for us as a warning. So I hope that you can uh, receive this message this morning and we can put into practice some of what we learn here from the Israelites. Because I believe that, as Paul said in the book of Corinthians, this is meant as a warning and a reminder to us. So we're going to look at Numbers chapter 13 and 14 Uh, for a little while this morning. We're going to jump around, read a a few verses here and there, and try to get the whole idea of this passage. We're going to start in verse number 1 and 2. Numbers 13, verse 1 and 2 say this, The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes. So God tells Moses, Send out some men to explore the land now you might like I did immediately think "Well, why do we need to explore throughout their journey in the wilderness God has been leading the Israelites by a cloud of fire and uh, 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 by a cloud and by a pillar of fire and so if God is leading them why explore well it, if you do a little bit of research in the Word of God you find Deuteronomy chapter 1 you don't have to turn there because we're going to be hanging out in numbers but it will be on the screen this is the account that Moses gives us from Deuteronomy Chapter one, and you get a little bit of insight as to why these spies were sent out. Num- uh, Deuteronomy chapter one, verse twenty. This is Moses speaking. He says, "I said to you, you have now reached the hill country of the Amorites, that the Lord our God is giving us. Look, He has placed the land in front of you. Go and occupy it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged." But you all came to me and said, first let's send out scouts to explore the land for us. They will advise us on the best route to take and which towns we should enter. So you're right in knowing that God had been leading the Israelites up to this point. But the Israelites got into their mind that they now wanted to make some decisions. They were on the verge of the promised land. They were there. They had journeyed and they were there. They saw the promised land. But they decided to take some of that control in their own hands. And they said, we want to send out spies and scouts and we want to to get their advice on where we should go and what we should do. After all this time of God leading them safely and providing for them, you would have think that they would have been through with uh, wandering and waiting. Now they're looking at the land. You would think that after all of that, they would have stormed right in. Moses tells them, here's the land that God has given you. He's promised it to you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The Israelites, you would think, after being uh, eating manna over and over again, traveling, picking up camp, setting up camp, they would have been ready to put down roots and settle in and would have stormed right in. It's right there. They can see it. But something caused them to stall out. Something caused them to put the brakes on and say, whoa, whoa, not quite yet. And I think it's unbelief, and we'll see that in the passage today. I wondered as I read this how often maybe I've been on the verge of a great blessing. I've been on the verge of where God was leading me to and I stopped moving. Something got in the way. Something scared me off. Something caused me to hesitate. Maybe I listened to the wrong people. Maybe I hesitated just a little bit. Maybe I, like the Israelites, wanted to take some control and say, maybe I should do it this way, God. And how many times I may have missed out on what God had in store for me because I got right to the edge like the Israelites and said, wait, wait, let's try this way. And so they send in these scouts, because they want to hear what the scouts say. It says, they will advise us. Their journey was over. They had arrived. Numbers 13, when when God tells Moses, notice he says in verse two, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. It was a done deal as far as God was concerned. I'm giving this land to them. But the Israelites weren't so sure. They wanted control of the situation, and so they Convinced Moses to send out these spies, and we're going to pick up the story in verse 17 as Moses gives them some instruction. Verse 17 says, Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land Go north through the Negev into the hill country, see what the land is like, and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls, or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. And so Moses gives them instructions just before they set out on this journey. Now notice, Moses' instructions are for facts. Moses gives them instructions to bring back the facts, get the facts, just the facts, Moses doesn't ask them for opinions. He doesn't ask them to make a military plan. He says, give us the facts. Tell us about this land. Tell us what what you see. He doesn't ask for opinions. He doesn't want to know whether they think that they should march on. He just simply says, go in and find out some details. And this was the land... They had been promised, and even as far as Moses was concerned, they were going in. It was just a matter of time now. He's like, okay, we'll send them in like you want, and we'll, we'll see what they have to say, and then we're going to go in. Moses never doubted they were going to go in. So a dozen men took a 40-day journey of several hundred miles round trip, and it's kind of interesting what they find when they get there. Uh, A couple things really stand out. One, they returned looking like they'd just been to the berry farm. They returned like they'd been berry picking. And think about what the Israelites had seen for the last uh, long bit wandering through the desert. They'd been eating manna. They hadn't seen fruit in who knows how long. And they come back with, in fact, one cluster of grapes. It says, the Bible says that they also brought back uh, verse number 23. It says... They cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. And you just imagine these 12 spies come back into camp and, and they've got this pole of grapes and such big grapes that it takes two men to carry it. And they carry a variety of fruits with them as well. They return to report to the Israelites what they've seen. And you've got to imagine the smiles on their faces as they, as they walk into camp with all this fruit. In all this, uh, they probably had smiles on their faces as well. They're waiting to gorge themselves and tell about all that they had seen, but the report wasn't quite what they were hoping for. They reported in verse 25. It says, After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that They had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. And you just imagine they drop it down right there in front of everyone. Verse 28. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The land was better than they had imagined. But they saw the people as a problem. In fact, they saw them as a big problem. Notice that last line there. They said, we saw, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. So while the the land was an an excitement, they were excited to see the fruit and the, the land flowing with milk and honey, the people, the Israelites viewed as a big, big problem, a big, giant obstacle, literally. The descendants of Anak were famous for their height. Uh, anywhere from seven to nine feet tall, it would have been like a a whole community full of NBA players, and uh, and they and and probably strong, and and uh, and they had fortified walls. They lived in cities with twenty feet thick walls and twenty-five feet high walls. Now, some people believe that this was the beginning of exaggerations that we're going to see. In a minute, not necessarily the wall size, but the giant size. And we're going to read more about those exaggerations as we read on through their report. They think that maybe they were saying the people there were giants as an expression of speech. Similar to what we would say when we walk by someone and they're giant. Or maybe you're about to face someone in a competition and you say, those people are huge. So maybe they weren't necessarily giants. And maybe they weren't the nine feet tall descendants of Anak. The people begin to express their fear and their concern and their unbelief. But the things that they saw didn't seem to bother Caleb. He was one of the twelve spies. One of the twelve that went in. Caleb wasn't really fazed by that. In fact, Caleb gives a completely different report. He saw the same thing. He traveled for the same forty days, the same hundreds of miles. and Caleb was right there with him, but when he comes back he gives a different report. Look at verse 30. Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses, because you can imagine they got riled up. Some are talking about the fruit. Some are talking about the giants. Some are trembling in fear. and And the 10 of the 12 spies are continuing to express these exaggerations and these doubts and these worries. And so Caleb tries to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. And look what he says. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. It's a totally different report. The one before said there's giants there the descendants of Anak, the towns are large, they're fortified. Caleb sees the same thing, and he says, we can take it. There was a man named George Gipp. He was an All-American football player for Notre Dame. In fact, he was the second consensus All-American in Notre Dame's incredible history of football. He played under Coach Newt Rockney, all-time great, famous coach. In December of 1920, during George's senior season... Uh, Gipp passed away. He had a throat infection and pneumonia at the age of 25. He was rounding out his senior season when he became sick, and he passed away in 1920. From his hospital bed, as his coach visited him, he told this to Coach Newt Rockney. supposedly. He said this, I've got to go, Rock. It's all right. I'm not afraid. Sometime, Rock, when the team is up against it, when things are wrong, the brakes are beating the boys, ask them to go in there with all they've got and win just one for the Gipper. And eight years later, Newt Rockney used that in his famous speech to rally an upset over Army. So if you've ever heard the phrase, win one for the Gipper, it was George Gipper, a Notre Dame football player, and Newt Rockney used that speech to win just one for the Gipper. Why do I tell you that? Because I think Caleb would give a pretty incredible pregame speech. Some of you have been in locker rooms before, and, 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 and the coach has given that speech. Maybe it was a pregame speech. Maybe it was a halftime speech. Caleb says this after they get back. He, can, he rounds them up and he says, let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. And you could imagine that just a few probably in that crowd was ready to go. He didn't have the majority. But I bet if he had been given the floor for a little bit longer, Chad, I bet he could have talked them into it. He sounds like the one that could have rallied the troops. It didn't go that way, though. Everyone wasn't convinced. Verse 31, you see a little bit more of this other report. It says, the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. See, there was 10 of them to convince the crowd, and there was Joshua and Caleb on the other side. It says, the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. Notice that, we are. We'll come back to that. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. <clears throat> the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. There's those exaggerations again. We even saw giants like the, des- the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. These are those exaggerations I was talking about a moment ago. You see this a lot in sports or other competitions. Someone says, that team is huge. We can't possibly beat them. How many sporting events or competitions do you know of that were over before they even got started because of the mindset of the other team? They, they never even had a chance. I saw it in just fourth grade basketball this past fall. Never had a chance because the other girls looked like seventh graders. And it was, it was, it was uh, they, had, they had already decided that they were going to lose. We see that all the time, and that's what happened with these ten men. They said, those people are huge. There's no way we can possibly beat them. Fear had gotten the best of them, and it had led to unbelief. They were just about to experience all that God had in store for them. They were right on the verge of entering the promised land. Remember, Moses just asked for the facts. He didn't ask for an opinion. He didn't want them to come back and say, we can't do it. We shouldn't go there. He just wanted the facts. He wanted them to tell about the land and about what they saw. And they come back and they start saying, there's no way we can defeat them. Sometimes in life, I know we think it would be good if God showed us the big picture. I've been there. I'm like, God, you know what, what's, what's the big picture look like? Show us the big picture of our life. But don't you think that if we saw that and sometimes see what we're up against that we would sound an awful lot like the Israelites if we said God show us what's out there for me and we saw what was between here and there we might say I don't know I don't know if I want to do that God I'm gonna to have to go through all that to get that career you want me in I'm gonna to have to go through all those things to get to that place in life there's got to be another way God I think I'm just going to stay right here, God. I don't want to deal with all that heartache to experience your joy. I think sometimes that's what we would sound like if we got to see the big picture. The Israelites got a little foretaste here. They sent the scouts in, and they saw what was ahead of them. By looking what was ahead of them, they forgot who was behind them. Unbelief crept in. The Israelites had asked for the big picture, and they didn't like what they saw. They got distracted by what was ahead of them. Notice they said, they are stronger than we are. Had it ever been about the strength of the Israelites along this whole journey? It had never been about their strength. They had escaped the slavery of the the Egyptians without even raising their fist, without even raising a sword. It was always about God. But here they're looking ahead at the obstacles, at the enemies that face faced them. And they said, they're stronger than we are. They forgot that God was behind them and it was never about their strength. Deuteronomy chapter 1, back to Deuteronomy and Moses' account. Moses, after telling them about how they wanted the spies sent in, Moses continues on his narrative, and he tells us this in verse 30 of Deuteronomy chapter 1. The Lord your God is going ahead of you. He will fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. And you saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness, just as a father cares for his child. And now he has brought you to this place but he did, even after all he did, you refuse to trust the Lord your God. You refuse to trust, even after all that he did. Someone said this a lack of trust in God always prevents us from receiving his best. It certainly did for the Israelites in this moment. A lack of trust in God. We get right to the edge and we see what God has for us, and we, man, I'm not real sure. And a lack of trust in God always prevents us from from receiving his best. What we see in these reports from Caleb and Joshua and then the other ten spies, these reports are testimonies of unbelief versus belief. One side is all about unbelief. We can't do it. We can't possibly do it. And the other side is God is with us. God is for us. Who can be against us? You read on in chapter 14 and You see that the Israelites, the unbelieving Israelites, were weeping all night long, crying out for Egypt, willing to go back to slavery, wanting to get rid of Moses as their leader. They were dissatisfied. They didn't want to be where they were. They were complaining. There's no way we can do it. We should just go back to where we were. They were bitter. They were angry at Moses. Dissatisfaction, complaining, bitterness. Those are warning signs of unbelief. Those things start to creep into your life. Check up. Pay attention. Dissatisfaction, complaining, bitterness. They said we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. I think that line's kind of interesting. Like we felt like grasshoppers against these giants, and they thought that about us too. Do you know it's far less important what other people think about you than what you think about God? It's far less important what others think of you than what you think of God. It didn't matter that the giant, the so-called giants thought that they were grasshoppers. They had the mighty God that had saved them from Egypt and led them through the wilderness right behind them. It didn't matter what the other people in the land thought about them. So that's the unbelieving testimonies. They're weeping all night long, longing for Egypt. Then you see Joshua and Caleb. They were the exact opposite. They were displaying great faith. They were tearing their clothes and begging God for help. They were thankful that God had brought them thus far. They were confident in the Lord. Look at chapter 14, verse number 9. Another one of these pregame speeches. I'd like to say that I would have went in there with them, but I'm not sure. Not sure if the other crowd wouldn't have gotten to me. Look at verse 9. Do not rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. He said they have no protection. They were in fortified cities with uh, giant walls. Joshua and Caleb see it as no protection at all against the Lord their God. They were believing. They knew that God had them there for a reason. Like Joshua and Caleb, we need to look out and see the obstacles in our life clearly. But we need to have such a clear vision of the God who's got us there, the God who we serve, that we know that we're able to overcome those things. It's belief versus unbelief. The Israelites were afraid, they were filled with unbelief. And because of this unbelief, this generation would never see the promised land. They were literally on the edge. They were on the edge of grapes that took two men to carry all the fruits that they wanted, the fertile land, the land flowing with milk and honey, a permanent home. They were right on the edge. But unbelief caused them to back up. What is unbelief keeping you from today? And I ask that to myself too. Is it maybe following through with the dream that God has given you? Maybe unbelief keeping you from following through? Maybe unbelief keeping you from stepping out in faith? Maybe unbelief in God's word that his commands are true and right. Maybe unbelief of those is keeping you from making some decisions, from getting some things out of your life or from adding things to your life so that you can be a better follower of Jesus. Maybe just a little bit of unbelief, not quite sure that God's way is the best way. What is unbelief keeping you from today? Do you know that belief or unbelief really determines how we go through the world? It determines how we see the world around us. Do our attitudes and actions reflect unbelief in God? Do they cause us to side with the majority when the majority is against Scripture because we don't want to step out in faith, because we don't want to be bold? Does unbelief cause us to cower down a little bit? Or do we face the challenges and the unknown of our life based on the trust in the one who brought us this far? Belief versus unbelief. It changes the way you look at every obstacle, every opportunity in your life. Are you hesitating? Are you backing up? are you confident that the Lord has brought you there and He wants you to take that next step? The Israelites in this passage, they chose unbelief. They went with the ten spies. They had the whole camp riled up and they had decided, nope, we can't do it. To the point where they were going to stone Joshua and Caleb for even thinking that they could. One commentator said this about unbelief. Unbelief is the great damning sin of the world. This sin shuts up the heart of God and shuts up the gate of heaven. Hebrews 3 speaks about the Israelites and tells us that they never entered into that rest. And we have a something that we can relate to, a rest that we're looking forward to that also requires belief that many will miss because of unbelief. Hebrews 3 on your screen, verse 19, it says this, So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter into his rest. But God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest, we sang about it, right? There's a place for me. I'm a child of God. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us, just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Joshua would take the next generation of Israelites into rest, into the promised land 40 years later. The current generation, they all missed it. Unbelief caused them to miss that rest, that promised land. Now in the beginning of the story, Numbers chapter 13, where. We, we skipped over the verse that tells us that Moses changed Hosea's name to Joshua. Joshua means God saves. Moses changed his name. He called him Joshua now, meaning God saves. And Joshua, or Yeshua, which is the Hebrew form of the Greek name of Jesus, Joshua led the Israelites into the rest of the Promised Land. God saved them, just as Joshua's name means also is the other form of Jesus. And Jesus offers salvation, rest to us in the form of eternal life. Our promised land, so to speak. The place that God has prepared for us. What does it require? It requires belief. It requires belief. Will we be right on the verge and choose unbelief? Not quite sure that this book is what it says it is. Not quite sure that Jesus is who the Bible says that he was. Or will we choose belief? Belief that our sin, that all of us have, separates us from God. But that Jesus paid the price for that sin, the penalty for that sin with his death and his resurrection. Belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as your Savior. That's the kind of belief that will keep us from experiencing the same fate as that generation of Israelites. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, I think, Is at the end of this commentator, at the end of this, not commentary, at the end of this narrative. Numbers chapter 14. It's the last verse from this passage that we're gonna read. And it points out the terrible consequences of unbelief, specifically for this generation of Israelites. They had been right on the cusp of the promised land. They were looking at it, Moses, Joshua, Caleb, telling them, it's yours. God saying, I've given it to you already. It's right there. Go and take it. And the story concludes with verse 25. God telling Moses, now turn around. Don't go on toward the land where the Amalekites and the Canaanites live. Tomorrow, you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. The other way. God sent them back for 40 years because of unbelief you know what this verse reminds me of it reminds me of a statement that Jesus made about judgment day Jesus said this about judgment day there will be a day and people are going to say lord lord and he's going to say depart from me i never knew you that's what that verse reminds me of he's going to say turn around because of unbelief because you never came to a place in your life where you recognized that you could not save yourself that you had to place your faith and trust in the only one who can, and his name is Jesus Christ. You can begin a relationship with Jesus today. He wants you to. In fact, Jesus said this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Give you the promised land. Give you eternal life. I will give you rest. Jesus loves you, and he wants a relationship with you. This morning, there are several ways that you can respond. You can respond in person. We're going to have some folks at the Connect Corner back there. If you've never experienced the rest that Jesus offers, if you've never placed your faith in him, made that decision to turn from your sin, put your life in his hands because of your belief in him, I want to invite you to do that this morning. I want to invite you to know without a shadow of a doubt that you have a home, there's a place for you because you're a child of God. You can make that decision this morning. I also want to invite you to turn in that Connect card if you're struggling with following Jesus, if you if you want questions about how to make Jesus your Savior, you don't feel comfortable doing it in person, or maybe you have prayer concerns or prayer needs, fill out that Connect card. Let us know how we can serve you and your family. But everybody in the room, we can take action. We can watch for these warning signs of Unbelief creeping into our lives. Dissatisfaction, complaining, bitterness. Why would we feel that way? It's a little bit of unbelief creeping in. We're satisfied where God put us. We believe that He's got us there for a reason. We're not going to complain about it. Watch for those warning signs. Be with the right crowd. What happened to the Israelites? Who were they listening to? They were listening to the wrong crowd, they were listening to the ten. Surround yourself with other believers. Share that mutual faith. Encourage one another. Think highly of God. It's far less important what others think of you than what you think of God. Think of God. Think highly of God, what He's done for you. Recognize how far He's brought you, what He says about you in His Word, and what He says to you in His Word. So take action. Let God lead. Don't pull back the reins. Don't don't do like the Israelites and... Send out some scouts and see what's going on before you take that step. Let God lead. If they would have just continued to let him lead the way he had brought them that far, that whole generation would have entered into the promised land. Unbelief. we got to watch out for it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this giant flashing red light in Scripture for us this decision that the Israelites made to take back control, to pull back the reins. Lord, I know I'm not the only one in this room that could relate to that. I pray, Lord, you would help us to watch for warning signs of unbelief creeping into our lives, that we would continue to think highly of you and recognize what you've done for us, what you say about us. Lord, help us to surround ourselves with other believers that we could be mutually encouraged. Lord, I pray for the one in this room that may get to that day and so dreadfully hear you say, depart from me, I never knew you. When I pray that today they would make the decision to place their faith and trust in you alone as their Savior so they would never have to experience the fate of that generation of Israelites that you said, turn around. Lord, I thank you for this Church, I thank you for these friends. I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would use it this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.